you know, whether it's a new recipe or, you know, if you're struggling that much to get something across the finish line, it's probably a sign that it's, you may be working too hard, you know, that it's not meant to be. And when it just flows and it just comes out of you and it comes from that inspired place, it, it tends to not only speak to you, but also speak to the people that you're trying to present it to. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Thanks for listening. You know, I am super inspired and love talking to really dynamic operators who do really amazing, extraordinary things. So imagine a former fry cook turned corporate head chef for MTV, that's right, MTV, who later goes on to found a fast-growing taco concept. And not only that, the taco concept started in a trailer in one of the, arguably, one of the most competitive restaurant cities on the planet, a real foodie city, that would be Austin, Texas, and then going on to have 95 locations in 11 different states, right? That's incredible. So I could only be talking to Mr. Mike Ripka, who is the founder of Torchy's Tacos. Their tagline, Damn good, tacos. Anyway, we're going to talk all about irreverent and extraordinary marketing that really builds a very unique brand. We're going to talk about growth, how you go from one location to 10 locations to 95. We'll talk about staffing. We'll talk about the magic dust of restaurants. This episode really has it all, so stay tuned. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Rockstars, let me tell you about Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed for restaurateurs, by restaurateurs. Effective labor management is more important than ever to maximize profit and success, especially now as restaurants begin to reopen and expand their teams. Trusted by over half a million restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the tools you need to simplify scheduling, easily manage time and attendance, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll systems you already use and trust, turning your team into a competitive advantage to your business. Right now, Restaurant Rockstar's listeners can get three months absolutely free. Get started now at sevenshifts.com forward slash restaurant rockstars. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com forward slash restaurant rockstars to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Now on with the episode. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, and our mission is to help you rediscover the passion of how and why you got into this business in the first place. And now that you're making it through this pandemic, it's all about inspiring you to keep on going. With me today is the founder of a really exciting brand called Torchy's Tacos. His name, Mr. Mike Ripka. Welcome to the show, Mike. How are you today? I'm doing great, Roger. Good to see you, man. Thanks for having me on. I am really excited to talk to you today. You know, you're a very innovative marketer, and we're going to talk all about the power of the Torchies brand. You've done some pretty exciting things. But before we get into that, let's talk about other passions besides running a fast-growing company. What do you do when or if you have any spare time that uh, you really enjoy? got a 10-year-old son. Um, obviously, I love spending time with him. Uh, we like to go out on the, bay, the boat and do some wake surfing. Uh, that's fun. Definitely get out on the bike cruise around town, uh, like to hike, uh, a lot of outdoor type stuff um, is mostly what I'm into. Um, check out new restaurants, travel, 
get out to new cities, um, go to different countries when I can. Obviously, that's been a little hindered this last few years, but, uh, you know, still like to get out and do things and, um, you know, hang out with my buddies and stuff. Great. Well, I know how exciting it is to have a 10 year old. You know, I miss when my kids were young. They're both teenagers now. I got a, you know, soon to be a senior in high school. I got a freshman in high school, all that kind of stuff. So it's always great to spend that family time. Let's talk about your interesting background in hospitality. You started out as a fry cook. Let's go there and move forward. Um, corporate head chef of MTV. I mean, these are exciting opportunities. How did all that happen? So, I, you know, I uh, come from a divorced family, uh, started working really early on. You know, we didn't have a, I wouldn't say we were poor, but we definitely weren't, uh, you know, living up on top of the hill either. Um, and, uh, you know, if I wanted money to go do things, I had to go get a job. So I got a job at Popeye's as a fry cook um, in Springfield, Virginia. And um, I uh, went from there, worked there for about a year, two years, and then got a job with a company called La Peep. I started as a busser and uh, then a dishwasher. And then uh, one lovely Sunday morning brunch about five cooks decided not to come to work that day. I think they had a little too much to drink the night before. And uh, they threw me on the line and, uh, you know, started cooking. And uh, they handed me a spatula and a pair of tongs. And I was in charge of making breakfast potatoes and bacon that morning. And uh, from there, I went on and uh, worked at a country club. And that's where I really kind of fell in love with sort of the passion of food and kind of how creative it can be. and. Um, the executive chef there, his name was Brian. He really kind of took me under his wing and, um, you know, helped develop me and and coach me on like what it is to be a chef, what it is to have a career uh, in culinary. And I uh, worked there for another couple of years and then uh, went off to college, uh, went to Johnson & Wales University at the North Miami campus. And then uh, I got a hospitality degree from uh, Florida International University down the street. And I uh, got my bachelor's there. Uh, while I was in college, I worked kind of all over the place down in Miami, worked at Fisher Island, got to cook for President Clinton and uh, all the Latin American presidents, worked with the White House chefs while I was there, did a lot of, uh, you know, great um, fundraiser events, um, yeah, Feast on South Beach, Taste of the Nation of events, uh, did kosher catering. Uh, worked at a bunch of fine dining restaurants as well, and really just honed in on my craft and uh, worked as many places as I could just to kind of get my chops. Um, graduated, uh, decided to go back to D.C., um, which is where I'm from, and uh, got my first job. I actually got hired as an assistant manager for the World Bank in uh, D.C., and about Two months after I was employed there, the executive chef left to take a, another position. And uh, I went, uh, they asked me if I wanted to be the executive chef. And uh, nervously, I said, sure. And uh, I had a staff of about 75 people just in the kitchen alone. We fed three to 4,000 people a day. We had an international menu from around the world. Uh, there was probably 14 different sort of stations from different areas of the world. And we had about 52 different entrees a day that rotated every day for six weeks. Uh, so it was a little bit of a daunting task. 
And uh, I took it on and, and rose to the challenge and um, learned a lot. I, I kind of call that my PhD program, uh, that job. Uh, learned a lot about just all kinds of cuisines and spices and foods and, you know, got into learning how to manage people, develop people, uh, and kind of hone my craft as uh, becoming a chef and a leader in terms of being able to, um, you know, lead a staff and, and get them to do the things you believe in and, and work with them. And uh, then went out to LA and uh, was the executive chef for MTV and Disney Animation. And I uh, got to do a bunch of fun stuff there. Was also a, a regional training chef out there uh, and worked and, you know, did a lot of classes on different ethnic cuisines and, um, you know, to, so taught other chefs kind of, you know, the backgrounds of Asian flavors and Indian flavors and things like that. And, uh, then I got a call from some folks at the world bank and ended up being the chef at, uh, Enron in Houston. Uh, we kind of all know how that happened. Uh, no what happened kidding. That. Yeah. I, uh, got to, I served the last supper there. Um, and, uh, was supper. there for that, that whole thing that wow. crashed. Yep. Uh, definitely interesting experience. Um, you know, I, for whatever reason, I, you know, since I was the new guy, I had to lay off a lot of the people. So I had to have those conversations, a uh, huge lesson in just terms of, uh, you know, how to, how to do that and how to do it right and do it with respect. Um, and you know, those are hard conversations when you yeah, got to go always. to a, a big staff and tell them, Hey, I don't have a job for you, you know, tomorrow. Um, and so then, uh, I ended up in Austin, uh, which is where I live today. And I uh, was the executive chef for Dell computers, ran all the food service there. Uh, and also a regional chef as well for Texas, New Mexico and Oklahoma. And I uh, did a lot of training and procurement stuff for the company uh, for other outlets and stuff within Sodexo. And um, then got a call from a friend of mine who uh, was looking for a chef to kind of help develop a menu. And uh, that was with the uh, Chewy's group. And uh, it was a different concept they were opening called Lucy's Boatyard. And so I left and uh, went to go do that. And, uh, you know, got to be real creative and it was a very hard restaurant. It was about a 500 seat restaurant. And, you know, I think the owners were sort of towards the end of their days and, and, you know, didn't quite have the, you know, the tenacity that they had, you know, when they were younger. Um, but I ended, the restaurant kind of ended up folding. Um, I sort of saw the writing on the wall and I kind of looked at myself and I said, look, if I'm going to do my own thing, now's the time to do it. I'm not married. I don't have kids. I know if I do my own thing, I'm going to be working my butt off. And uh, I had a friend who had a, uh, who was my original partner. He had an old barbecue trailer and uh, he said, Hey, what do you think about opening a taco truck? And I kind of thought he was nuts at first, <laughs> um, especially being in Austin, Texas, where tacos are king. And um, we started talking about it and uh, started really getting inspired about it. And uh August 1st, 2006, we opened the doors to uh, our first trailer, which is Torchy's Tacos. Wow. So there's the vision, the brainchild. First of all, what a resume. That sounds like two lifetimes of gigs for you. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot, lot happening for sure. Right? 
and, and learning at each one and growing at each one. And then all of that leads you to this idea of starting a taco trailer. So Austin, hugely competitive restaurant town, Tex-Mex, all that sort of thing, tacos. So who's your competition and does competition bring more business? I mean, what's your thought on that? You know, I'd say, um, so we've kind of branded ourselves as craft casual, um, which is, you know, we've got full service bars in our restaurants and, um, you know, I, we, we get compared to Chipotle and other places like that, but I'd say locally here in Austin, probably taco deli is our biggest competitor. Um, and we're similar on, on some fronts and not so similar on other fronts. Um, they're more of a breakfast, lunch, taco concept. And, you know, we serve obviously all three meals, uh, we're open later. Um, and I think just, you know, they're a little more geared towards kind of authentic Mexican tacos, whereas we're kind of, we don't really have any bounds to what we do. You know, we kind of start with some of those authentic flavors, but we definitely branch out and, you know, we'll do, you know, Jamaican flavored tacos. We've got one called the brush fire. That's got, you know, a Jamaican jerk marinade on the chicken and, uh, you know, we'll do stuff more Pacific rim and kind of anything that we get creative about, we'll, we'll put it in a, in a tortilla and and serve it. Well, it seems to me that, well, again, it's like you have very, very strong branding and you've got a very distinct image that catches the attention of the, you know, the dining public. So is that your brainchild as well? Did you come up with that? You worked with an agency that just came up with that idea. I mean, it's, it has something to do with a red Vespa and the truck and passing out free tacos. Like all this is consistency that just built and built and built upon that image. Take us through that whole thing. Yeah. So um, me and my original partner, his name was Bill Roberts. Um, he was a very creative uh, landscape architect. Um, and we both really worked, uh, you know, one-on-one together in terms of coming up with the branding. Now, did we know, you know, today there'd be 95 restaurants across all these states? No, we didn't know that. But we knew that, hey, if you're going to start a business and you want to be successful, you want to have a brand that sort of speaks to people. And um, he actually had the name Torchies. Um, and he came to me one day, super excited. And he's like, I got the name, I got the name. And I said, well, what is it? And he went on to tell me this story about back in the nineties, he'd had a little too much to drink and went to one of the late night taco spots here in Austin. Uh, and this sort of image and name popped in his head of this silver Airstream trailer with torches above it, neon with flames coming out of the Y. And he just sort of stuck that thought and stuck that name in the back of his head. And here we were trying to come up with a name and, uh, you know, that, that thought came back to him and, and we loved it when he said it. Um, totally. And right. the other, the, the other thing was, so we, you know, we're torches, damn good tacos. The damn good really came from our customers. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, awesome. And yeah, you know, when you think about great brands out there, you know, you think about Nike, you think about Apple, you think about, uh, you know, Starbucks, um, you name it, there's tons of them out there. A lot of them have a symbol, an emblem, a character, you know, the golden arches at McDonald's. Uh, You know, if you take that name away, you can see that symbol or icon or whatever it is. Yeah, it speaks for itself. And you'll know it speaks for itself. And so 
we knew we needed something like that. And we talked about torches. We talked about pitchforks. Yeah. Um, and I, in the middle of talking about all that, said, you know, what about a baby devil? And we started talking about sort of this dichotomy of kind of damn versus good. And, and you know, you've got the angel on one shoulder that's mm-hmm. telling you eat the kale salad and the little devil on the other guys is a screw it, man. Go eat the queso, you know? Yeah, I love and, it. And we really wanted to be a place that you could come in, you could let your hair down, you could be who you are, exactly where you are in life, and just not have to put on any pretentiousness or anything else or pretend to be anything else and just come in and enjoy a great meal that tastes awesome and, you know, and have a good time and, and, and go about your day. And so that really spoke to us. And so um, we had a local artist here in Austin who kind of helped us draw up the logo. We gave them sort of the ideas and kind of said, hey, you're the artist, have at it. And, uh, you know, he pretty much nailed the logo in the first try. So you're like, that's it. That's it. I know. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. Yeah. yeah. It all came together. That's cool. So 95 yeah, I, restaurants. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Keep going. No, I was, I was going to say, I, th- I think that, um, you know, when you do things from an inspired place, which yes. I feel Torchies was really born out of an inspired place, mm-hmm. um, you know, you'll know the right decisions because they almost come easy. Um, and not that you don't struggle to maybe get to that decision, but by the time it's time to make the decision, it's an easy yes or no. And I, I think that, you know, over the history of our company, that's been sort of true. Um, and we sort of use that as a guiding light when we're, you know, talking about branding and talking about, you know, whether it's a new recipe or, you know, if you're struggling that much to get something across the finish line, it's probably a sign that it's, you're maybe working too hard, you know, that it's not meant to be. And when it just flows and it just comes out of you, and it comes from that inspired place, it, it tends to not only speak to you, but also speak to the people that you're trying to present it to. So beautiful. That's beautiful. You know, I want the audience to specifically focus on that. That is so inspiring what you just said. And that is the passion that this business is founded on. So thanks for sharing. So let's start with the trailer. And then now 95 restaurants, 11 different states. How do you go from one to two to 10 to 50? Take us through your growth trajectory, how long that took before you opened a bricks and mortar location. And now you're in sports stadiums, you're all over the place, but you still got a trailer that you take on the road because it's, you know, it goes back to the original inspiration. But let's talk about your growth, how long that took to achieve and what some of the hurdles and obstacles and challenges were before it really started to take off. Well, when you, you know, you go, so we started, we opened our doors August 1st, 2006, Um, you know, trailers at that point, food trucks were not really the cool thing yet. Um, I feel like we were kind of on the the front edge of that, Um, especially here in Austin and in Texas as well. Um, So it wasn't the easiest thing to get someone to come try a taco out of a food truck or a trailer, you know, um, sort of the you know, kind of the thought was like, oh, that's maybe a roach coach. It's not clean. It's not, right, you right. know, whatever. Yep, and yep. Um, so it, it took some convincing to get people to come. And, you know, luckily with my background and everything, like, you know, I knew how to keep a really clean area and serve great, you know, safe food to people. And so 
um, you know, that wasn't an issue, um, you know, but nevertheless, like people didn't know who we are. They didn't know who Torchies was. And, you know, that was the whole Vespa thing. Right. So I, I had to go out and get business and, you know, I didn't have this huge startup SBA loan or, you know, family that was throwing me, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to open a restaurant. I did it all off credit cards and a loan on my house. And, um, you know, so every dollar counted and, um, you know, I couldn't sit there and just wait and hope that people would come walk in the doors and, and try my food. So, you know, one thing I learned real quick is, you know, sometimes you got to ask people for their business. And, um, you know, so I did that, you know, I'd make up big, huge batches of chips and salsa and take them out, take them out and take them around town. And I'd have a menu attached to the bag and, talk with the shop owners or the people in the offices or wherever I was going and, and let them know. And, um, you know, the orders slowly, but surely started coming in. And, um, you know, those first days were amazingly hard, a lot of hard work. I mean, I probably worked a hundred hours a week, probably the first two years in business with literally no paycheck. And, um, I was getting foreclosure notices on my house. I had creditors calling me left and right. Um, you know, but I, there was always something that would happen that would give us just enough to make that next payroll or to pay that next produce bill or to pay, you know, our food vendors or keep the lights on, you know, it'd be a catering that would come through. It would be just an out of the ordinary, busier Saturday than we had the week before. And, um, you know, those were the things that kind of kept us going. And, and um, we opened our second trailer uh, about a year after the first. And um, we brought on some new partners. Um, a couple, Farrell and Rebecca, joined the team. And then, um, you know, we through them, we were able to find some other investors who helped us open our first brick and mortar in 2008. And, um, you know, some of it was a little bit by accident to be honest with you in the beginning um it we knew that it it was it was kind of hard to make one trailer make enough money so we thought well if we invested and got a second trailer and put it in another location it would help offset our cost for our commissary kitchen because commissary kitchens aren't the cheapest thing in the world right. so um and uh and then uh we were having issues with our lease and so we're like, man, we've got to be able to stay in the same area. And that's really kind of how we landed on our first brick and mortar. And it totally was by chance. You know, Farrell, my other business partner, he was literally driving down the road and watched the landlord put the for lease sign up in the window as he was driving by and uh, like stomped on the brakes, you know, turned his car and uh, he saw her talking to someone else and waited about 20 minutes and then went up and talked to her. And within, I think two days, we had a lease on a, on a brand new brick and mortar. Um, and, you know, so it, 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 you know, in the beginning it was sort of hodgepodge and then it came a lot from our customers in terms of, Hey, we wish you would open here. We, we love you guys. We'd love to have one in North Austin or, or this area, Austin or up by the campus. And, um, so, you know, when we could and, and when we could afford it, we would we'd started opening more stores. But, um, you know, we and the thing was, is we had this great sort of, you know, unlikely 
kind of renegades that all worked for us. You know, we were all kind of renegades to some degree in terms of, you know, a lot of folks with tattoos and, you know, sort of not your average, you know, straight cut looking folks, you know, but we all had passion for food. We all had passion for tacos and we had passion for, uh, you know, giving guests a damn good experience and um, got to provide a lot of opportunities for those people. And it's, it's been quite the ride. Yeah. I mean, a little bit of edginess, a little bit of a reverence there. I mean, you've got branding and, and retail merchandise, show us your tacos. It's like all this stuff just catches your attention, and your imagination, and it's all part of the branding we we're talking about. So you guys are particularly strong, you know, at the marketing piece, which is awesome. But, you know, marketing is worthless if you don't have the product to back it up and the public loves your food, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, well, again, I think, you know, when it comes from, like I said, an inspired place, um, you know, I mentioned my um, tenure at the World Bank. I got a huge culinary lesson there and just turned, I mean, I was cooking African food, Indian food, Thai food, Korean food, you know, uh, Mediterranean, Spanish food, Moroccan food. So I got all this exposure to you know, so many different types of spices and ingredients and everything else. And I really drew on a lot of that in terms of creating our menu items and kind of, you know, luckily knowing like, hey, this culture uses habaneros in this way and this other culture might use them in this way. And so that really helped me, I think, be able to take and combine flavors and really uh, do something new and different with them that, you know, people maybe weren't expecting, but they were still familiar, but maybe the way we used them were a little bit different. Is there any flexibility with the menu in all these locations or your rock solid consistent? The menu is the menu so that you get a consistent experience, no matter which torches you, you dine at. I'd say our core menu is definitely consistent across all our stores. We do have, um, you know, we're always testing new things. So there might be an area where we might test a new taco. Um, like we're testing uh, a beef mofo. And um, that one is, uh, you know, been in test for a while. We're testing some churros in another market um, as a new dessert item. Um, so we'll, we'll have things like that going on in different, you know, sort of areas of our company. Uh, there's a couple uh taco items that, you know, certain folks think, hey, we, we really think this taco would sell great up in Colorado. So we'll let them run that on their menu as well. Um, so there's there's a little bit of variability there, but our core menu and everything else is, is pretty much the same. So you're selling a lot of tacos, but it's great that you also have a liquor license and you're selling a lot of margaritas that go with the tacos. So that's a competitive advantage. Not everyone can, uh, you know, can boast as well, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, our uh, I'm trying, I don't remember exactly which store it was. I, I know that we it was SMU where we put our first uh, bar in. Uh, we we tested that out. I don't remember which number store it was though, but um, that's proven to be a huge success for us, um, and it also really. Um, kind of adds to the service model, right? Like, cause you can come up to the bar and get full service. So, you know, bartender will talk with you, sit there and watch the game, have a couple drinks, have some tacos, have some queso. And, um, you know, it's definitely proven to be a good thing for us. 
And your popularity has then led to catering because obviously people love the food. So big events and that sort of thing, you guys cater as well. Yeah, we do all kinds of events. Uh, we've got uh, ACL coming back to Austin here in a couple of weeks. We're going to be out there doing that. Uh, we've done everything from we've been in the Astros Stadium. Uh, we've done golf tournaments. We've done tons of fundraisers. We've done private corporate events, private events. We've done weddings. Uh, you name it, we kind of we go do it. Um, and then we've also got uh, a real good, uh, robust, uh, to go catering where you can come to the store and pick it up. Uh, during COVID, we kind of came up with these family packs that were meant for, you know, four people about, and, um, you know, that really helped us kind of get through the pandemic and being able to kind of bring the food to the guests, you know, when they weren't coming inside the four walls. Um, so we, we, we've always had a history of really getting out there and, and doing things outside the four walls. So I noticed, you know, all the stores seem just slightly different in terms of their vibe, even though your branding is consistent. How would you describe the vibe of a Torchies? Like what, what first comes to mind? Like I want the audience to visualize it without actually going to the website where I got a lot of information from. Yeah, I'd say fun, upbeat um, would be the first two um, okay. words that come to mind. Um, you know, we, you know, if, if you start in a trailer, you know, that's kind of its own thing. And then to like open a brick and mortar and say, well, what does that brand even look like inside an actual building? Um, and, you know, so we, we kind of thought we wanted to have a sort of essence of kind of that street food culture in each of the restaurants. Um, and we never wanted to be cookie cutter, um, you know, mainly just, because we kind of think it's boring, you know, to yeah, be of course, yeah. yeah, you're anything uh, but boring. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, we want our restaurants to be fun. We want them to speak to the neighborhood in which they're in. Um, you know, so we use a lot of, uh, you know, we'll use, we've used reclaimed wood. Uh, we use um, these really cool, um, what are they called? Um, these like reflectors, like the street reflectors. We'll do walls out of those. Uh, we use all kinds of different tiles and, and different types of material. Uh, we've got graffiti in some of our restaurants, some local graffiti artists um, that are in the neighborhood um, that our stores are in. We'll feature local artists sometimes. Um, and so we, we kind of try to, you know, not only sort of cater to that neighborhood that we're opening the store in, but also stay true to those, you know, street born roots of, of being in a, in a taco trailer and where we came from. Let's go back to the staff and the team. You know, you mentioned earlier about encouraging people who they are, their individual personalities, all that kind of stuff. So you obviously have sort of service and training philosophies that lead to the guest experience. Let's, let's talk about that. What do you look for in the people you hire and how do you onboard them? So, you know, we, we, uh, we used to kind of have a funny saying, uh, you know, in the early days, especially, and um, it's probably defined a little better than, than this, but, you know, as the founder, I can kind of get away with saying it, I guess, you know, we, we used to like to think that we hire for attitude um, and really yes. it's about 
you know, we would say things like, hey, is this someone you could drive to El Paso and back with and not want to throw them out of the car or kill them by the end <laughs> of the trip? Yeah, that's good. And, um, you know, because I, I think, um, you know, if you have good training and, you know, it's what tacos are not rocket science. They're just tacos. Um, you know, there's definitely an art to it and it's, it's not an easy business by any stretch, but you know, we're not teaching people chemistry and stuff here. Um, you know, we're teaching them how to make tacos, serve alcohol and give a great customer experience. So to us, it's really about, you know, do they bring the right kind of energy and the bright, right kind of attitude, um, to the job. And we really look for that. And we look for, you know, people that share those same kind of values and, you know, they, they care about customer service. They, they care about, you know, wanting to do a good job and, and serve a great product. And so those are the things we really look for when we're hiring folks. You obviously travel around the chain and visiting the different locations. I think we're all familiar with that show, Undercover Boss, where the CEO kind of goes undercover and, you know, disguises himself and goes in there and like works the line or the dish pit or whatever. And no one has any idea that he's the CEO. Do you ever do anything like that? Or are your visits always announced in advance? Uh, I, I like to, um, I wouldn't say I put on a mustache and a pair of glasses before I walk into stores, but I definitely, I prefer to go unannounced. Um, and you know, most people in the company know who I am. Uh, you know, there's obviously newer folks who haven't met me yet or whatever may not know who I am, but, um, I like to go in and, and really see, you know, what it looks like on a Sunday night. You know, um, hey, are we doing a damn good job Sunday night at 8.30, 30 minutes before we're closing versus, you know, a Saturday lunch when everything's rocking and rolling um, and get different times of the day to really see, you know, how we're really doing. Um, and I think that's important. And I also think it's important that, you know, you get the chance to, you know, you're not just talking to the MP at that restaurant, you're talking to the assistant managers, you're talking to that, you know, part-time cashier or that part-time bartender, or, you know, maybe those part-time cooks. And those are the folks that, you know, if you really can energize them and, and pump them up, you know, they're the ones that really make the difference on those sort of what we call outer shifts, right? They're like, you know, they're not your kind of core business hours, but, you know, when you, you know, if you fail, at those shifts and those hours, you know, it just dwindles your sales overall. So it's really important to always remember you're only as good as the last taco you served. Yeah. And as owners and operators, we have a very critical eye when we go into our own establishment, if we're not there all the time. Sometimes we get a little too close to it. If like you said, you were working those hundred hour weeks and yeah, you, your head's in the trenches, but now it's like when you got the 30,000 foot altitude view and you walk into a store and you see things you want to notice, you want your staff to notice things and fix things before the guest sees those things. I'm sure that's part of your operating, you know, philosophy as well, right? Empowered people give better dining experiences. And, you know, you want to walk in and not see anything that you wouldn't want the guest or the customer to see. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's, you know, humans naturally are imperfect. You know, sure. we all make mistakes. We all have bad shifts. We all have, you know, whatever. Um, so I, what I like to do is I really like to catch people doing things right and really celebrate that. Yeah, um, for sure. 
you know, I'll, I'll go in the kitchen and um, pretty much every restaurant I go into, I always taste the food um, and I'll do a line check. And I like to make it a big deal when, you know, someone's made the perfect Diablo sauce or the perfect, you know, green sauce or the fajitas are perfect that day or whatever it is. And uh, it really celebrated, you know, and then I also use, you know, let's say they didn't do a great job on one of those sauces that day. Then I might go in the back and say, hey, do we, you know, do we have a, a different batch? Or let's make a new one and let's try them side by side and then let the, the you know, the, the team members try it and say, hey, you know, what tastes damn good to you? You know, and it's a it's a good learning opportunity for the folks in the store. And, um, you know, when you're in the trenches and you're doing it every day, it it a lot of times helps to have that outside view come in and sort of turn on the lights in the whole place versus kind of your narrow focus of your job every day. So this labor crisis is probably the worst challenge next to the pandemic this industry's ever faced. And it seems like every industry, but restaurants are particularly hard hit. Are you guys struggling with that? Are you having trouble staffing uh, the locations, that sort of thing? I I don't think we're as, as bad as some and maybe not as great as others. I'd, I'd say we're kind of upper middle of the pack in terms of getting fully restaffed. Uh, definitely some challenges there. Um. You know, restaurants are definitely an influx, outflux kind of business. You know, I I think there's a lot of people that, you know, spend sort of their college years working in restaurants and then they get their degree and they go on and do something else. Um, so I think what a lot of what's happened is, you know, we've got, you know, there's probably a good amount of folks that took the pandemic and said, hey, I'm going to go back to college and learn something different and try something new. So we're fighting against that. And, um, but we've, we've done a pretty good job, uh, for the most part in terms of staffing all our stores. Um, we could always use a little more, um, you know, I think we've definitely got some overtime that, you know, people are working and just trying to keep the wheels on the bus, if you will. But, um, you know, it's, it's definitely been, um, you know, more of a challenge than I've, I've seen it in the past for sure. You know, and, and, and the thing the thing that's hard, right. It's like, you know, staying true to that, you know, hiring for attitude, right. Like not just taking anybody off the street. Thank you. Absolutely. And, you know, bringing them in just cause they're a warm body and you can throw them in a position, you know, meanwhile, they might totally not be the right fit for that, you know? So, uh, we've done a lot, uh, on the corporate side, as far as, providing tools and helping wherever we need to for recruiting and, um, you know, just helping folks get whatever resources they need to, you know, get people in the doors and, um, you know, hopefully find some great folks. Did the pandemic negatively affect your business or your, your concept was pretty well aligned with the pivots that most restaurants had to make? What happened to you? Well, I think, I think everybody, you know, got hit those first couple months for sure. Um, during the real major lockdown, um, you know, one thing that really, really helped us was, um, so we have what we call a managing partner program in our company. And so our, what would be called a general manager somewhere else, we call Mm -hmm. them MPs. I like that. And, uh, they actually, uh, they write a check to come work for us. 
And in return for that, they, they sign up for a three-year contract and they get the profit share and the profits of the business. We're not talking bonuses. We're not talking, we're talking profit share. And so, um, you know, that directly affects their paycheck. If, you know, the restaurant doesn't perform well, so if the restaurant performs well, they do really well. If it doesn't perform that well, you know, it hurts their pay. Um, and so our MPs really took the bull by the horns and got super creative. I mean, we had drive throughs where we didn't have drive throughs set up with tents and iPads out in the parking lots. We, you know, pivoted to curbside super quick and got that up and running. I mentioned to you earlier about the family packs. Uh, we got those rolled out as quick as we could. We've upgraded a lot of our IT stuff with when it comes to um, you know online ordering and and things like that to make it easier to get to the guests outside the four walls. So we were we were fairly quick and nimble in terms of being able to pivot and do things different. You know, there's a lot of operators out there that think they're running restaurants and you're obviously building a brand. We talked a lot a bit about that. And one of the things that's an advantage of building a brand is brand extensions and catering and merchandise sales and all those things where people are literally paying you to advertise their business. It seems like you got quite a bit of a merchandising program going on too. Yeah, we've, you know, that's always been sort of a thing that's been part of the company. Um, because we have such a fun brand, it's hard not to do cool shirts and right, cool hats right. yeah. and, you know, things like that. Uh, and, and they've done well. Um, and I think that, um, you know, like you said, building that brand, a lot of it has to do with culture, not only with your team members, but also with the communities in which you're in. Um, you know, we're very involved in our local communities um, with, you know, different, different organizations and stuff. We have three major organizations that we work with. Uh, we, we do a lot with Cancer Research and the Anderson. We work with uh, Make-A-Wish um, and Grant Wishes for kids around the country. That's beautiful. Um, and then we also support uh, the Phoenix House and uh, recovery and addiction um, and getting people help with um, addiction and alcohol abuse. Um, so, and, and all those are also brand extensions, right? Um, they're things we're passionate about as a company and they're things that people in the company can get behind. And, um, you know, when you, when you do all those things, I, I think it really helps in terms of, you know, building a brand, being part of the community, giving back, um, and, and doing the right thing for, for the folks you serve. That's that's absolutely true. Social responsibility is incredibly important, especially if it's authentic and genuine, which clearly it is in your case. It's not just about driving business. It that's just a, a you know a result of doing good where your business and your awareness goes up, but you're doing it for all the right reasons. And I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. We 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 you know it's funny, we first maybe four or five years, we you know, we sat down one day at the end of the year and we're looking through the whole year in financials and we're like, man, we gave all this money away, but I don't know if it really made a difference, you know? And so one thing we had to do was we really kind of got together as an organization. What, you know, why would we, that's kind of where we came up with those three 
main charities with Make-A-Wish and Phoenix House and, and the Cancer Research. And, um, and then each of our stores has their own budget within their store that they're allowed to, you know, give money away and do things they're passionate about in their community, you know, to help, to help support the folks that, you know, live and work in their communities where they're at. Excellent. So we've talked a little bit about the pandemic and it's literally devastated this industry. There's a hundred thousand plus restaurants that have closed never to reopen again. That's created new opportunity for others. But, you know, what's your best advice for those operators that have made it through the worst? They're still struggling with the labor challenges, with supply chain shortages, late deliveries, all this kind of stuff. We've been beaten up as an industry pretty badly. But if we're still standing, what's your outlook for the future? And what would you say to operators, whether they run an independent location, single location or multi-unit? Yeah, I think I think what it's forced a lot of us to do is really get down to, you know, core menus. Um, I, you know, we had to shrink our menu down a little bit and focus in on what we really do and, and do best. Uh, that's been important and that's helped us sort of streamline not only our operations, but our labor, um, to be able to, you know, do that and do that well. Uh, I think that's going to be real important, uh, you know, coming out of this pandemic is, is figuring out and doing the things that you're really good at can't please everybody you just can't um and i think the i think the general public has been open to that and willing to you know help and see restaurants do that as well um and i i think you've gotta you gotta open yourself up to you know different ideas um you you can't have a closed mind especially in, in these in these days that we're living in and and you know look at the people that are in your community look at the people that are you know, frying chicken or bussing tables or washing dishes or, you know, serving the guests and, and talk to them and get their ideas and really, you know, really involve them in that decision-making. And you'll not only get more buy-in from them, but you also get some ideas that you maybe never even thought of that uh, will really help, you know, keep your business moving in the right direction. Thank you very much for sharing that, Mike. Hey, I'm looking at some gold records on the wall behind you. Want to tell us about that? <laughs> oh, that's uh, that's a sign. Led Zeppelin, uh, it looks like. Led Isn't it physical yes. graffiti? Yes, it is. Uh, it's signed by all the original band members, too. So That's uh, a I've, piece I've of memorabilia. In, yeah, I found that in Arizona from a guy who uh, does collectible stuff. So it was pretty cool to find that. So I guess you're a Led Zepp fan. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm, 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 a, I'm a man of many uh, genres of music. I love all kinds of music. That's awesome. Did you get a chance to see the Hart sisters, uh, the Wilson sisters from Hart doing the tribute to Led Zeppelin at the Kennedy Center playing Stairway to Heaven? That was so inspiring. It's on YouTube. It, yeah, that was that was quite the quite <laughs> right? quite the performance for sure. I think Jimmy Page was in tears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Mike, it's been my pleasure having you on the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, and we thank our audience for tuning in, and we'll see you all next time. That was awesome, Mike. Thanks for sharing your wisdom, your knowledge, your experience, and your journey with us. You know, in order to achieve this kind of success, you really have to have what I call three 
fundamentals really nailed. You know, the staff training piece where you got a dream team staff that really just have your back in your business and really just make friends with your customers every single day. And not only that, they know how to serve and sell, not just order takers, but salespeople. You need your finances dialed, you know, your critical numbers. You need to know your food, beverage, and labor costs, your daily break-even, all those things. And then the extraordinary marketing piece where you're not spending just tons of money on advertising and marketing that's not proven to drive the ROI. You know, return on investment is what it's all about. So you don't need to spend a fortune. You can literally get a huge return, lots of new and repeat business with very simple ideas that cost little or no money. Where do you find all this? Everything I'm talking about is in our Restaurant Rockstars Academy. It's literally a roadmap, a template to, you know, those three fundamentals that really are the magic dust of restaurants. So check it out at restaurantrockstars.com. I'd like to thank Cisco and Seven Shifts, the all-in-one labor management platform, for sponsoring this episode, and stay tuned. Oh, by the way, don't miss sending us a question. I love when people send us questions. If you go to the show notes for this episode and scroll down the page, you're going to see Ask Us a Question. All you have to do is hit the button. You can record a message for me, and then I'll give you a reply. And chances are, I'll read it on the air. So don't miss, ask us a question. You can ask us anything, any challenges, any pain points in your restaurant, just any restaurant or hospitality related question. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.